Dog Training Digital presents the eCollars Podcast with Robin McFarlane and Steve Snell. So the topic today is collar conditioning. And I always struggle. I always struggle with this as a terminology because I don't believe that there's a consistent. It's one of those things where what collar conditioning to me and what collar conditioning to you is not the same thing. And people throw the term around and I'm not sure if anybody knows when they're talking to somebody else go, well, is this dog being collar conditioned? Well, what exactly does that mean to you? And so I'd like to, I'd like to get your take on it. My take on it is I think a little bit different, but I'd like to get, I'd like to get your take on it because it is, it's terminology that people use, but I don't know how consistent they are when they use it. Yeah. And this is a kind of a passionate topic for me. This is a fun one to talk about because I do feel strongly about it. So I'm going to, I'm going to address this from two kind of key things. One collar conditioning for me is I want to know if I'm going to ask somebody, is the dog well collar conditioned? What I want to see is if I push the button in conjunction with whatever command I've asked the dog to do, he will go harder, faster into behavior rather than hesitate. Okay. So a dog that is well collar conditioned for a recall is going to, and I apply stimulation even in theory, if the stimulation was too high and it was a little overwhelming, he's going to go harder, faster to come to me. He okay. understands, no questions asked, exactly what behavior he is supposed to do. He is collar conditioned for that behavior. Okay. Now for me, a dog that is, complete collar conditioned, understands the system that Jim and Phyllis Dobbs exposed us to back in what, late 80s, yep. early 80s, somewhere around there, which was three actions. They called it the three action introduction, which means I can pull a dog toward me, push a dog away from me and stop a dog. That to me is a complete collar conditioned dog. He understands how to do all three of those behaviors and goes harder, faster into any of those individual behaviors when asked. So if I apply stim to come to me, he's going to, he's on it. He knows exactly what to do. If I apply stim to move away to head to a target, he knows exactly what to do. If I apply stim to do a stopping behavior, like a sit or a down, he nails it. it to me, that's a dog well collar conditioned. He doesn't question it. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't show confusion. And you're saying that you're talking about stimulation in conjunction with a command. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. Because I think that some people, I think that's where it throws some people because it's like there is some sort of process that you're supposed to do before you do the training. Oh. That, see, that may be true for some people because some people will talk about collar conditioning a dog before they start applying the collar. And see, that this is my frustration with the term because once again, it depends on what kind of training you use and how you do it. And so I'm not sure if it's one of those things where if you get 10 trainers in a room and you ask all 10 of them the same thing, you're going to get about 12 different answers. It's because it's one of those things where it, it kind of depends on what does this mean to you? I like your explanation and I'm fine with it, but it is one of those things where you'll have people that will talk about collar conditioning a dog before they start training. And to me, it's a, we've done the training and the dog understands. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and maybe it's just, maybe once again, we're, it, it's the words, it's the, the conditioning is the, what we do before we do the thing. Oh, and I so I like, yeah, I just think it's just a, I think it's a, it's some terminology that it depends on how it's used as to whether or not it makes sense to those of us that 
Well, that's fascinating because, yeah, because I'd never, that you, we've known each other for a while. You know that I just put a collar yeah. on a dog and off we go. We start conditioning, meaning mm -hmm. teaching them how to understand right. how to respond to stimulation. That to me is collar conditioning. It is a teaching process. And this is where I think there's a lot of debate. Do you have to have a dog pre-trained? Should they right. know all the behaviors before you start using a knee collar to enforce them? Nothing wrong with that. People can do it. It's fine. To me, it just takes double the time. Okay. So I like to combine those two things at once, especially if it's a behavior that it's easy for me to manipulate the dog's behavior and model them and get them to do it anyway. Then I'm going to pair that with, but it just doesn't make sense to me. If you don't take the time to condition the dog, meaning if you don't take the time to teach the dog exactly how to respond to stim, if you're not using the button, how can you ever expect it to hold up in a situation down the road where you really need him to respond properly? If it's all of a sudden a new sensation, it's going to throw him off. He maybe he'll do the right thing, but maybe he'll just hit the deck and lay down because he doesn't know what to do. Maybe he'll panic. You have to condition. And that's what the Dobbs showed us is you've got to go through a process and teach the dog how to respond. So a collar conditioned dog for you is definitely not something that you do beforehand it is a he gets it, it's a you can have a dog that's not finished in his training and finished is one of those words that that same thing here there's no such thing as a finished dog but it's a we're going to do a lot of training with a collar before we get to a dog that is collar conditioned yes okay yes it is the process that you're yep. going through yeah and see, I think that's where some people get a little thrown off by. Yeah. But see, I'm from the same school that you're in that, and I think I would have done this. I mean, when we started, when I started watching your work and we started discussing it, you changed some of my mindset on, because I think probably one of the first things I ever said to you was, man, you push that button a lot. One of the things that, that I don't hesitate now on a dog, I don't hesitate to put a collar on and start immediately. And I was out this week with my middle son, who is not a professional dog trainer. And, and he and his fiance have a little mixed dog named Lizzie and she likes to pull and we went for a walk and Dakota knows not to do that. And Lizzie's just, just choking herself the entire way. And I was like, I was like, can I fix this? I was like, are y'all okay with me doing this? Cause I, I, did, I really had never talked to, I was pretty comfortable that Luke would be fine with it. He grew up at my house, but I didn't know if his fiance, I just never discussed it with her. And she was like, please make this stop. And so, so we strapped collar on and we started immediately. Uh, yeah, and so, so like I said, it is one of those things that I think people get thrown off by it because they think it's something that they're supposed to do before they train. All right. So let's go back and talk. Okay. So now we understand that from your perspective, a collar conditioned dog is at a certain point where he understands what stimulation means in certain situations with certain commands, and he knows how to, to correctly respond to the stimulation in that situation. So let's talk a little bit more. You mentioned the three action mm -hmm. introduction, which was a DVD that, that Jim and Phyllis Dobbs did with Tritronics in the mid eighties. I'm going to say, I know that man might've been early nineties now that I think okay. about it, but it was, it was, uh, that was a long time ago, but, but talk a little bit more about that as far as the history of that and what that, what those concepts, when you're talking about the three actions, let's talk a little bit more about what we're doing there. Well, and A, I think that was probably revolutionary at the time because they, I think, it, to my knowledge, they're the first people that really started to say, look, you got to take time to teach the dog how to respond to STEM, which means we got to push the button. You don't just save it for when the problems arise and then punish the dog for making a right. mistake because he's not going to understand how to respond. 
But when I started studying it, it became apparent to me relatively quickly how valuable it was that I introduce those three actions into a pet training program. So action number one, and I 99.9% of the time start with teaching the dog a recall and walking with the owner because what the dog is learning from the dog's standpoint, he's learning when I feel sensation, I should move closer to the human. So that is action number one, come toward the human when you feel stimulation. And we can apply that with the commands, come, hear, heal, let's go, anything that basically teaches the dog, you're being drawn toward me. So now the dog has simply learned that is an association. When I feel sensation, I should go toward the owner. Sensation goes away. Reward is delivered as well. So that's great. And a lot of people, that's what that's really for my pet owners. A lot of people, right. that's really only what they want. And they would stop at that point. If that happened, I don't allow them to stop and I don't encourage anybody to stop. I say, you know what, let's do complete collar conditioning, meaning we're going to teach two more behavioral responses to stimulation. If you just stop with the recall, you have to remember, you really can't apply stim then to other scenarios. For instance, unless you go back and teach now how to sit, which is the stationary, a stationary behavior, a sit or a down, unless you go through the process of teaching them if you've not done it before, so let's say you've taught the dog to come to you. He understands when he feels stim, he comes in. Now, for some reason, someday you decide you're going to push the button and tell him to sit. 90% of the time or more, that dog is probably going to come to you because that's what he learned first. So he's going to default to a learned behavior. So I do start with a recall in my programs because I figure, well, if the dog's going to default, he's going to default to a recall for a pet, that's great, come to your owner. But we wanna move on to that. And what I usually go with the second behavior, actually I teach place as the second behavior in my sequencing because it balances out the movement toward and it teaches the dog to move away. So now we can build, when you feel stimulation, you go to your bed, you go to your place, you go to your kennel, you go out to a target, which later in advanced training comes into teaching directionals and retrieving and stuff like that for me. So now you're teaching a behavioral response of movement away from the handler. So now we've got two of those actions. Then if we, again, if we want to take it the next step, now we want to teach the dog stop where you're at and hold stationary. And that's where you're going to teach a sit or a down or maybe a stand, depending on what, what you're doing with the dog. But once you do that, once your dog understands stimulation can mean move toward the handler, away from the handler, or stop where you're at and freeze right there. There is literally nothing that you can't build off of that. I mean, I have friends and I've done it. We've taught whole agility courses based on the push-pull stop idea. And using STEM, where you can stand in the middle of an agility course, and this blows agility people's minds if they are anti-e-collar, but I can stand in the middle of the course and push my dog to the teeter, push him to the poles, push him to the, go to the weave, go to the place board. It's not that I'm not saying to anybody, you got to do this or anything else. I'm saying when you understand the concepts, the versatility of what you can teach the dog, because it's this communication device that gives him essentially, I don't know, three-dimensional aspect of movement okay. go toward go away and stop now i can do anything when i'm talking to him it's amazing well and it, i think that and for folks to understand is that by the place command to me is a really neat concept and i think it's 
I think this is developed. I really don't know who started it and how much of it's going on, but teaching movement using place boards is a gigantic deal nowadays, as far as giving them that target. And you talk about that a lot where they understand that you're sending them to a spot and it has to be a target that they can recognize. And once you can get a dog to go left or right or back or come to you, then it's crazy what you can, what you could stitch together with that. Now, when you talk about, uh, Getting a dog to stop in, in my side of the world has always been what we would classify as a woe. But with a pet, you're talking more typically sit. I mean, is that the typical? And I'm assuming the sit and a stay are the same thing for you? For me, they are. Don't build in the word stay. If people want to use it, that's fine. I just see it as repetition because, rep, unnecessary repetition, right. because I teach my dogs that if I give you a stationary behavior, actually, if I give you any behavior, keep doing it till I tell you to do something different or I okay. tell you you're on recess, you can go sure. do your own thing. Okay. So. Yeah, I think that's another, and I think some people don't grasp. It's one of those things where all of these pieces work together. And I think that's a part that, that folks, they have a harder time tying those things in. I've always said that if, if dogs would naturally come when called, if that was just a normal dog behavior, that most of us would not be in the business that we're in right now, because that is the, it's the question of, well, we were out and Dakota is a hundred percent off leash. I could take her anywhere off leash and let her do her stuff. And she's a, a decent sized shepherd. And so she's, she can be intimidating. She's not incredibly, she's, she loves everybody. But she has that look if she's not sure who you are, but we were out with this, with this other dog and my son's dog, and she can't be trusted off leash. And so, but it's neat to me, the things that you can do just with those, the three actions, as far as what you can get a dog to do and your ability to enjoy them in a way that you can't with a dog that doesn't have this conditioning. Well, and that's, I think what, once people start to, once people start to grasp how to utilize these things, because Again, in my world, most of the pet owners that come, they're looking to solve a problem. So they're like, okay, I need my dog to come to me. All right. So we're going to teach that as the first behavior. And then I encourage, well, let's teach this place command. They're like, well, I don't know that is that really valuable to me. I'm like, okay, well, let me ask you this. If the doorbell rings at your house, what happens with your dog? Well, they run to the door and they bark. And I go, okay, it's great. You can call him back to you and you'll have that skill. But now what happens when you go to the door and you open it? Well, he's going to follow me and he's going to want to go out the door, jump. Oh, well, now you're calling him back again. What if we teach the dog a, a go away behavior, an action to move away? That's where obviously the place comes into, it comes into play in their everyday life. We can send the dog away from us to a target in the house. The dog learns that the expectation is you keep doing it until I tell you otherwise. That means while I open the door, while I get the pizza, while grandma comes in, you'll get off the place. You stay there until I tell you you're free to go. So there's so much value in that. When we go out in the environment, people want to, sometimes people are like, Robin, oh my gosh, so, so many cool photos, right? That you get on your Instagram or your Facebook or whatever. And all it is a place command. I'm teaching the dog, go jump on the tree stump, go jump right. on the, all you have to do is be able to direct them. So it, so the concept transfers in the dog's mind so easily. Once they understand this is a place, it's the same behavior to them. They just have to be pointed in the right direction. Which target do you want me to go to? And that even comes down to something as simple as you want to give your dog a bath. The bathtub is a place, jump in the bathtub. So now you can have the dog, you can enforce that he's got to get in the bathtub and he's got to stay there. I use the place command and I use a down command. So I chain the two together to give my dogs a nail trim. 
You got to stay on the place and you got to stay laying down. Well, that in and of itself gets rid of a lot of the resistance with the dog. It allows me to focus on, okay, now I can actually desensitize him to the tremor or the dremel and I can bring the food in it because he knows getting off the place board and getting up is no longer the option. So it, there's so much value in just understanding and teaching the dogs that three concepts of movement toward, movement away, and stopping. And then when you realize how you can pair them together to create a successful everyday life together, I mean, it just, it's really cool to watch when people get that light bulb moment and they go, sure. oh my gosh, I can actually teach my dog to stay on the porch. Can't I? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can sit out on the porch and he can understand that that whole porch is a place. But we have to go through the process of teaching those pieces initially. And that's why I harp so much on people. If you don't do the work teaching, you can't get to holding accountable. You have to teach and then you can hold accountable. And the teaching process involves actually using the collar and pushing the button. And that's what Jim and Phyllis introduced us to when they made those, or at least me, that was really sure. my first awareness when I watched that, that work. Well, yeah. I, to me, it was one of the earliest e-collar training concepts that, that I saw. And uh, I'm not even sure at the time I truly appreciated what it was, but it's still a building block for almost every e-collar program that's out there that I've seen. And I do believe that you could break down almost everything that you're dealing with. Dog training is just really not that complicated of a process. We're just, we're teaching some basic things. It's the everyday life stuff that you're dealing with where people get frustrated. And I think a lot of people don't realize this, but I'm real popular with my vet because my dogs will stand still on a table and they're not freaked out by it. They're, they're, some of them are not big fans of the vet, but they're not freaked out about being on a table because we do a lot of table work and that's place. And that's all that is. And it's so the thing for me, the place command for me is my favorite part for, for two things in that I can sit at a, I could sit a chair and have a dog understand that they need to lay down and just relax in a spot. But I can also do a lot of the things with them physically that I need to do because, and I can do it in a comfortable environment in that I like table work because I can stand and it's, it's perfect for me to be able to maneuver around the dog. And it also gets the dog in a, in a stationary spot. And that's a big part of place. And then just, it's a whole separate conversation, but place and kennel training kind of, kind of go hand in hand. That's a much longer subject. I think something too, that's important for somebody when people have, if you haven't had a lot of dog training experience, it can be frustrating because you, you think, well, why is the dog disobeying? Is the dog, why is the dog being disobedient? And I personally think the vast majority of the time, the dog is not willfully disobeying you. That happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But when you're actively training, I don't think you're seeing willful disobedience. I think you're seeing a dog confused about what to do. And when we're talking about the collar conditioning, for instance, so basically all we're doing is we're creating associations with a tactile sensation. They feel the tap. I'm guiding them to me with a leash and the taps stop as soon as they start to move towards. So, so the dog is learning very quickly. When I first start, this means go toward Robin and then it goes away. This means go toward Robin and then it goes away. So imagine repeating that three sessions in the course of a day. By then the dog is starting to get it pretty well and they're starting to get the hang of it. Now, as soon as you start to go apply stimulation and you want them to go on a place, what's the dog going to do? He's going to move toward me because sure. that's what he just learned. And so that people are like, oh, why won't he go on the place? He's being stubborn. Then they mistakenly think, well, if I turn up the pressure because he's being stubborn, 
then he'll get on his place. That's not helping him in the collar conditioning phase at all because you're not getting disobedience and you're not getting, assuming you're in a training environment where you have somewhat control of the environment, you're not even being impacted by distraction. So turning the level at that point is not your go-to maneuver. You have to figure out, okay, he's confused. He feels sensation. He's defaulting to coming to me. How do I now move into this second behavior and teach him the exact same sensation? This is where the confusion comes in. The exact same sensation means go away from Robin and get on that platform. So that's why I think sometimes e-callers and e-caller trainers can get a bad name because we maybe haven't done the work necessary to help people understand the cue is the same to the dog all the time. How are you going to teach the dog that this same cue has variable meanings? And that's where the art form comes in. And Jim and Phyllis did that early work. We have even more finesse now with the callers that we have, but we also got more creative simply going with the dog initially to get on that board and helping him that way. And there's a lot of different techniques. Sometimes we'll put food on the board and it motivates the dog to want to go there. There's a lot of different ways to teach it. But the main takeaway that I'm trying to emphasize, I think, to anybody listening is your dog's not being disobedient in this early conditioning phase. Your dog doesn't understand how to do what you want him to do. He can't read your mind. Yeah, there's a difference between confusion and disobedience. So that brings up a new question for me. So when you're doing this three-action collar conditioning, you're teaching this all together. What's the process for you as far as on these three actions? How do you chain them together? How quickly are you moving from command to command? That's a good question. So, and there's always a difference between how quick am I doing it versus how quick am I teaching a novice person to do it? If I'm doing it, I'm doing three or four sessions a day with a dog. Generally, within two or three days, I've utilize stim in all three of those behaviors. I don't stick to anything for too long because I don't want the association so strong that they stick and don't want to move into a different behavior. So I want to toggle back and forth. You come and you go and you come and you go and you stop. Now I'm using a leash all the time in the early going. I'm using a lot of luring with food, but by me doing that, I'm not allowing the dog to just get in his mind stuck that stim always means the same thing. I'm trying to diversify his associations pretty quickly. So I guess if I had to give people a rough, because one of the things I've said is I say, in regards to training a dog and when do you switch criteria, you go as fast as you can, but as slow as you need to. And the dog determines the pace. The dog determines the pace. If he's not recalling to me at all and he's still confused, then we're going to work on that until he's really getting the hang of it. It doesn't have to be rock solid, but he has to be getting the hang of it. Then I'm going to go, okay, let's try this and add this into our session. So I wish there was a hard and fast, but I do encourage people don't get so stuck and like, okay, I'm going to practice this three sessions for 10 days and then I'll teach the next thing. Because you're going to be... I think you're going to have more resistance if you do that than if you diversify on the front end. I like the term sticky when you're talking about it, because if you do put too much emphasis on this one situation, then the dog's going to default to that. Because most dogs in these situations, they're looking to do what you want them to do. They just don't always understand what it is. And so that's the, that's the trick. And I do think people struggle with the concept of 
It's not the same for all dogs. It's not the same for all trainers. That is a hard thing for people to come to terms with. And I will even add a piece to that. You do have to make sure that you don't use that as a crutch. You can use that occasionally as a, well, this dog's not, he's not progressing quite as fast. I have fallen into that trap a couple of times where it's not that he wasn't progressing fast enough. It's that I wasn't putting the work in. He wasn't getting enough repetitions and it wasn't working out. And so there is a line in there, but it's one of those things that you really can't, can't lay it out and go, they won this, they two this. It just doesn't work that way, unfortunately. It, I don't think it works that way. I, and that's the hardest thing, I think. For, at least that's what I see so much in my industry as a pet trainer is because I'm working with people that have really no experience training. Maybe they've trained one of their own dogs in the past, but they don't have a vast amount of experience. They want a recipe. They right. want to follow a recipe. And um, it just doesn't quite work like that. I can give you some basic ingredients. But you could put the ingredients in a different order and probably come out with a better product. So it allows for that. The biggest thing is, like I said, I think the biggest piece when we're doing this collar conditioning is recognizing that confusion is not disobedience. Confusion is you unconfuse the dog by helping him figure it out. And this brings up a point too, Steve. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of e-collars you're a huge fan we're very experienced with it for somebody that's getting started if you feel like why isn't this working this is stuck put the transmitter down okay. and see if you can get the dog to do the behavior with your body language and with your leash and with luring with your food and when you if you can't get it with that piece then you got to hone the ways that you're helping the dog because that's the other part of it right pushing the button is one piece the other piece of this is how are you helping the dog understand and that's where the leash, the food, the luring, the body language comes in. If you don't have those pieces developed, then you're not able to give the dog enough information to help understand how to make the association with the collar stem. So that's where I think people have to take a close look at their responsibility in this training equation. Do they have the techniques and the skill set to help the dog understand how to solve the problem we're asking them to solve? Well, I think, and we may have, we, we may have missed this when we were talking about it. All of this initial training is done on leash. And I think that that's a key part that you have to, you have to, you have to understand that when I'm teaching a dog a recall, he's going to have a long line. So it's going to be 15, 20, 30 feet, depending on the dog. And when I'm teaching place, same thing there, we're going to have some sort of long line or a drag line or a leash so that when he comes off, cause he's going to come off. That's how it works. I've got to be able to get my hands on him quickly without having to catch him and be able to lead him back to, to where I want him to be. It's a process. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks miss out on that a little bit. We, we even changed the way we were selling stuff when we started, when we added, when we added your first DVD to a lot of the heat collars that we sell, majority of the heat collars we sell. That intro, you'll even see it in the instructions with most manufacturers. They're like, well, you need a 15 foot line. Okay. Well, you just bought something. Vast majority, you buy mail order, you get home, you open it up and it goes, oh, you need a 30 foot leash. You need a 15 foot leash. And nobody has one. And so now you're like, ah, I gotta go back to the store. So that's one reason why we include them because nice. you, you gotta have the tools to do it. And, and that's a pretty simple one that, that everybody needs. That is something I think that folks, all of these commands are gonna be done with some sort of assistance in the beginning until they start to do them on their own. That's what I call the conditioning. It is how are we assisting the dog to understand what this sensation means? That is a conditioning process. It's getting them in shape to be off leash later. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you very much. I enjoyed I enjoyed getting your take on that, and, and we'll continue talking about that a little bit more. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. For more information or to purchase Robin's online dog training programs, visit eCollars.com. This is Robin McFarland's eCollar Training. This video series takes a systematic approach to e-collar use from introduction to off-leash control. Three dogs of varying personalities were adopted from a shelter environment and trained daily over the course of three weeks. This series captures the real-time footage starting from day one of introducing the e-collar and progresses to the point of off-leash control and working around real-world distractions. Robin takes you step-by-step step through the process of laying a foundation, solving common problems, working through distractions, and graduating to off-leash freedom. The systematic approach and detailed instruction is designed specifically with the novice e-collar user in mind, but even experienced trainers will find a gem or two to add to the training toolbox. Each of the dogs in this video series, Grace, Brandy, and Bonnie, started training within 72 hours of being adopted from a shelter environment. What you will see is real-time training sessions, not special editing or previously trained dogs. Watch dogs with different temperaments being worked through challenges toward the goal of off-leash control and a greatly improved relationship with their handler. Robin's e-collar instructional materials are clear, concise, and never sacrifice the physical or emotional well-being of the dog. With this training, your dog will be calmer, more controlled, and be able to experience the joy of off-leash freedom. If you've longed to be able to trust your dog off-leash, but don't have the confidence to start training with an e-collar, this video series is for you. Any dog owner that is interested in learning an easier way to communicate with their dog while gaining off-leash reliability will benefit from this DVD series. This five disc set will take you step by step through the process from starting the training and finding a level up through working around distractions and being ready to go off leash.